Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. from Matthew chapter 5 verse 1, 2, and 5, and Matthew chapter 11 verse 25 to 30. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, if you've been with us, you know that we have been in the middle of a series uh, looking at the kingdom of God. And we have kind of journeyed in a lot of different ways uh, already. And we are today going to look at another aspect of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God through the Sermon on the Mount. Let me, let me start this way. You know, if you've, of course, been paying attention at all to the current landscape of the day, uh, the idea of uh, power, the idea of privilege, of influence, these are hotly debated topics right now. Uh, who has power and why is, of course, a big question. It's a question that often leads to uh, debates about things like historic oppression in our nation. Uh, it, of course, has devolved into debates about things like critical race theory or the validity of journalism like the 1619 Project. Um, and as a result of those kinds of debates, we see a lot of debates about public discourse. Right? The whole idea of public discourse has been largely debated now. Who gets to have their voice and their opinions heard, no matter how controversial those voices and opinions might be? Right? This becomes a question for us that leads to debates about free speech and censorship. You know, where are the lines between allowing people to say what it is they believe and uh, they believe to be true, no matter whether or not that information that they speak is right or wrong, and where is the line between that and the general desire to just allow the marketplace of ideas to determine whose opinion gets to win the day. These are things, if you're paying any attention to our culture, are very hotly debated issues. And now while I'm sure we all have a variety of opinions on all of those different things, what these tensions have produced for us, right? I actually don't want us to think too much about the issue, I want us to think about what it's produced. Because what it's produced for us is a combativeness that often cares only about winning arguments or destroying opponents, which so often leads us to just this general hubris, this arrogance, and even anger because too often we're not willing to listen and learn and engage with others who have different opinions. Too often we're not willing to engage with a good faith posture with people that have differing opinions than us. And of course, we see this, we see this hubris, this arrogance in our social and political discourse. But that same hubris 
that same arrogance is also incredibly pervasive in the church as well. And it has become so, even more so, in recent years. And in the midst of all that posturing, all those assumptions, all that hubris, all the pursuits of power and influence, it's with that context in mind that we now come today hearing Jesus say, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What in the world are we supposed to do with that kind of statement in 2021 in a society racked with arrogance and anger and division? Well, again, today we continue our series, Thy Kingdom Come, which has been a very slow look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And for the next few weeks, we'll be in the, the Beatitudes, what are known as the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, where Jesus is showing us the values of his kingdom, values that his people ought to reflect in the world. And today we come to the third beatitude, and probably one that is most foreign to us. Blessed are the meek. To understand what Jesus is saying to us and how it ought to radically change us in the way that we view ourselves and the world around us, let's consider three things. First, let's take a look at Jesus' conceptions of power. Then we'll look at our conceptions of power, and then finally we'll look at Jesus' use of power. So first, Jesus' conceptions of power. We need to probably first begin by trying to understand what Jesus is talking about when he says meekness. Because it's a word I don't think we kind of intuitively tend to understand. The word itself means humbleness. It means gentleness. It's a consideration. It's being courteous. The word has a lot to do with how we view ourselves in relation to other people. It is this self-controlled posture that we have. A self-control that occurs uh, with how we interact with other people. It's viewing ourselves rightly in comparison to other people. And it's important to note the order of the Beatitudes that we've seen thus far. Because what we have here is meekness coming after what we saw last week, which was to be poor in spirit and mourning. I mean, if you remember, what did we say about being poor in spirit? We said that those in the kingdom... Those are really those who come to realize their poverty before God. Those who know they have nothing except Jesus when they come before God. Those who come empty-handed so that those hands might overflow with the gift of Jesus, the true treasure of heaven. We also said that the kingdom is for those who mourn their sin. Those who recognize their need for Jesus. And that the self-righteous, they comfort themselves with their own arrogance. But the mourner, the one that Jesus is speaking of, the mourner is comforted by God, who is our true comfort. So up until this point, we are told that blessed are those who are empty-handed and who know the extent of their brokenness and their sinfulness. And as a result, it ought to make them meek. We ought to then be humble and gentle and considerate and courteous as a result of how we see ourselves before God and in relation to others, because we recognize our own position, that we need the mercy and the grace of God. And without it, we have nothing. And so as a result of that, we should not have an attitude of hubris or arrogance, but rather meekness. Now, over the years, I have found this to be almost universally the case. That though, of course, Jesus is speaking here about general spiritual postures, you know, being poor in spirits, being a mourner, Whether one is a Christian or not, there's something about realizing one's lack of humility, I'm sorry, um, 
that realizing one's lack, meaning one does not possess much, that does tend to produce humility and gentleness. Right? I mean, some of the most arrogant, mean-spirited, unloving people that I've ever known have also been some of the most self-righteous, learned, and successful people as well. And when I find myself, you know, if I take a look at my own heart and my own life, in the moments when I have been most arrogant, mean-spirited, and, uh, and unloving, it's often because in those moments I have felt self-righteous, or I've been dependent on my own learnedness, or I assume my own success has somehow merited me the privilege to treat people in a way less than what they deserve. And now, of course, we need to also state is righteousness and learning and success, are those things wrong? No. But when they become the basis for my value, my self-esteem, it's then that I will become arrogant, mean-spirited, and unloving. But the flip side of all that is true. In my experience, and maybe I would imagine in many of your experience, those with the least have often been those who have experienced the most heartache, those who have been the most humbled, those that uh, really have proven themselves to have nothing but Jesus. It's those people, those who are truly poor in spirit, those who mourn the brokenness of who they are before the Lord, the people that understand that most have also been the people that I have seen the most grace. I have seen the grace of God most evident in them because they're not relying on anything that they have done or anything that they've accomplished for their value. They're relying solely on the grace of God and that grace oozes from them. This is what it means to be meek. Because even those who are righteous or learned or successful, we can have such things if we also understand that it's God's grace that we, that we need fully and completely. This is what makes us meek. And I won't name those people. There are actually some of you among us who exist in a posture of constant dependence upon the grace of God. And as a result, what had, that had then led to is a meekness, a gentleness, a compassion. Because we've seen ourselves rightly, especially in comparison to other people. This is why Jesus says it's those people, those who are meek, as a result of their poverty of spirit, their mourning of sin, those people are the ones that have experienced the grace of God most, and as a result, rejoice in that grace, and it's those people who will inherit the earth. Now, I said all of this kind of in the context of power, Jesus' understanding of power. Well, what could be more powerful than the possession of the earth? Right? This is what Jesus is talking about. Great power is inherited to those who don't seek power, but those who are meek. And Jesus says that those who receive that kind of power are the humble and the gentle, which runs completely counter to our conceptions of power. We don't think about power in those kinds of ways. And so it's important to note, secondly, what are our conceptions of power? I mean, for us, you know, having possession of the earth is not a foreign concept to us as humanity. We don't usually talk about it as inheriting the earth or in possession of the world's earth. We often talk about it more in terms of like world domination. You know, over the course of human history, there have been many attempts to conquer and possess the world, to dominate through sheer force. 
Of course, we've, you know, we saw this in, in biblical times with certain superpowers of the day. The Egyptians and the Assyrians, the Babylonians, they were all superpowers that sought to conquer and dominate. We saw it later with the Greeks and the Romans, of course, who were also warrior tribes that may have interwoven different governmental structures, but they still use these ancient forms of domination of power. Fast forward many more years, you of course see this in European colonialism that sought to quote-unquote civilize the world and reap the benefits of domination by colonizing huge swaths of the, of the globe through military might and coercion. And the, express, the expression of such assumptions about power, those kinds of ideas, they're very much still present in the modern day. Of course, every era, will, it, will, um, it will inevitably exp express itself differently. But don't miss the fact that even modern day superpowers assume the same things about power. I mean, even as the United States, I mean, we spend more on our military and defense than the 11 next countries behind us combined. I mean, there's something to that. The idea that power comes through sheer force, domination, a show of strength. This has and it will always be the world's approach to power. And this understanding of power is essentially what sociologists and philosophers have called social Darwinism, if you're familiar with that idea. Of course, Charles Darwin, he postulated that the propagation of the species is rooted in the idea of the, the survival of the fittest. If you are the strongest, your genetic line will continue. But since Darwin, there have been many philosophers and social scientists that have asserted the same concepts, not to biology, but also to social structure, meaning that the culture of the weak will be diminished and that the culture of the powerful will dominate. And in contemporary society, Social Darwinism has very much been kind of the norm for many of us. It's kind of, it's been the main driver to justify things over the course of the years, like class stratification. It's just, it's natural. The most powerful, of course, are going to dominate. Or the inequities that exist between people, like individuals, but also people groups. Some are inevitably going to prosper more than others because in some way their culture has uh, created a culture that gives them the right to have the kind of power that they possess. To be superior or inherently morally superior as a result of being in a particular people group, this has been very much the norm. It's been very much the rationale for much of the history of the West that's often left, led to imperialism and colonialism and racist policies. Right? That has been very much part of our culture. But that said, over the years, of course, this social Darwinism has taken different forms. I mean, we right now, live in a city that is probably most known for social Darwinism, even though we might not define it that way. This city is famous for crushing people seeking success, isn't it? I mean, hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people in this city, New York, right now know exactly what I mean when I begin talking about social Darwinism and the survival of the fittest. And to my point, those New Yorkers who have made it are also kind of known for their arrogance, aren't they? That whole idea that if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. And based on social Darwinism, it's kind of true, isn't it? I have quite a few friends who have come from the West Coast, uh, particularly LA, and I know there's been a couple of times when I've picked on LA, so forgive me, but it's almost been universal 
with a lot of my friends who come from Los Angeles or from the West Coast in general, the idea that if, if New Yorkers were to move out West to LA in droves, they would absolutely take over because the laid back vibes of LA just would not be able to stand a chance against the inherent drive of successful New Yorkers who have made it. And let's be real, it's probably true. Right? Our city is one of those unique cities that gets social Darwinism. It's either kill or be killed. It's all about the survival of the fittest. But here's my concern. Having said all that I just said about our conceptions of power, we should expect that kind of posture from those who serve masters, who believe that the demands of success and wealth, who assume that the acquisitions of power through domination are somehow virtuous. We should not expect that kind of posture from those who serve a king who says, blessed are the meek. Please know that we can hold power or success. We can have it and have it not be the result of God's blessing, but rather possess power and success as a result of God's displeasure. It's important to know that. Power and success are not necessarily marks of God's favor, because when achieved through the assumptions of what we'll call social Darwinism, we've in the end rejected the king who said, blessed are the meek. And of course, that's acquisitions of power that seems very abstract and hard to nail down, but think about the other ways that we do in more regular rhythms of life, try to seek power. You know, I started off by talking about our general uh, societal discourse, public discourse right now. Often there's so much interaction that, ha that uh, comes between people that have differing opinions that devolve into arguments. And those arguments are often connected to who exactly is going to have the most power and the most influence to shape our overall society. Right? Debates on cable news and social media, all of them have a tendency towards social Darwinism because the idea is this, we need to crush our enemies through sheer force of opinion or debate. And you can be confident in a whole host of opinions, but the problem is, is that if your confidence is not connected to what Jesus is talking about here, blessed are the meek, you can be right about a topic. And as you look out there in the landscape of opinions, there are a lot of people that have a lot of right ideas about a lot of different things, but you can hold the right ideas about a particular topic and ultimately be wrong because you've held that position the wrong way. Because we've rejected the meekness that Jesus calls us to. You know, I'll just give you some very tangible examples. For Christians, I have certainly been this, and I know uh, maybe there are some of us that will identify with this, but you can be a Christian with the most impressive knowledge of all things theological. Right? You can be, have the, the best position and articulation on some of the most esoteric theological debates that exist out there. The kinds of things that most people have no idea what you're even talking about, you can nail those theological arguments. But in the end, you can hold those positions on complicated issues and reject Christ by not being meek. And instead, falling more to social Darwinism, this hubris, this arrogance that just seeks to dominate other people that don't understand the same things you do. You can hold positions now on complicated issues that we face right now in our society. Topics like abortion rights, sexuality, race relations, economic and foreign policies, 
and a host of other issues that are not polite to bring up at dinner parties because they are so contentious. You can have convictions about these things and maybe even hold biblical views on such things. But because of your hubris, because of our arrogance, because of our self-righteousness in the way that we hold such positions, we reject the king who calls us to be meek, who says, blessed are the meek. You know, if you're a Christian, you might at times assume, and I'm very much speaking to Christians now, because I actually think this is very much a problem we need to wrestle with. If you are a Christian, you might very well assume that the things that you are holding, right, the ways that you are fighting for certain positions, we might assume that there's this righteousness that we have within us because we're holding to these certain topics. But I'm telling you, as the king declares, blessed are the meek, we might assume ourselves righteous for holding certain positions, but in the end, we reject the king. And I'll tell you why I think this happens a lot. is because too often, we are not actually discipled by the king who says, blessed are the meek. Instead, we are discipled by the Fox News pundits, the MSNBC pundits, our favorite podcaster, or maybe even preacher, whose entire posture is hubris, arrogance, self-righteousness, not humility, gentleness, and meekness. Now, my friends, I, I, I say this, and I'll be very straight with you. I have found myself in this position many times over the years. I can think of many times when I know that I'm right, I've got, I, I am so confident I have the right opinion about a particular issue because I've studied it. I have made sure that I knew every nuance so that when I did speak, I had a level of like knowledge and insight to speak on an issue. And so I feel confident about my rightness about an issue. But then I find myself not with an instinct that says, blessed are the meek. Instead, I find the instinct being social Darwinism, that I just want to dominate with the knowledge that I possess or disregard other people's opinions out of a sense of superiority that I have. And like any good Christian, I can very easily chalk that up, right? Chalk my hubris and arrogance up to righteous indignation because I know that they are wrong. But hear me, when I've done that, I'm hammering on this point, when I've done that, even though I really do think I'm right, I am wrong because I no longer trust Jesus when he says, blessed are the meek, the gentle, and the humble. It's important to note that meekness is not about being a pushover or being a coward. It's the way we conduct ourselves. Even when we know we may hold positions of influence or power or we know that we're right. Now, over the years, the Lord, of course, has, as I said, worked on me a lot in this area. The need to grow in patience, to learn to be gentle, to be humble in my posture. And I know for a fact that there are probably many of us here who also need the same. I mean, for many of us, maybe you're like me and you need just that constant reminder to trust Jesus when he says, blessed are the meek, because our tendency is arrogance and hubris and combativeness. And maybe for others, maybe it's not so much that you have those kinds of interactions with people. Maybe you don't end up in the same, similar kinds of conversations that I might find myself, but maybe for you instead, you're just really drawn to people with great hubris and arrogance. I mean, it really is remarkable how easily we can be drawn to those with this posture of arrogance and self-glorification and self-righteousness. 
even if they have something valuable to say, hear me, we allow them too often to shape us, to mold us, to disciple us. And even when we do that, we've rejected the king who says, blessed are the meek. So often our posture, again, is this social Darwinism that pursues domination, defeating opponents through aggression and willpower. I keep using the word hubris, but it's the perfect word, this hubris. And the irony for Christians, again, is that so often we think that we're honoring Jesus by doing so, when all along Jesus is saying, no, you're not doing this for me, you're doing this for your own glory. And if we're going to crush those tendencies, I am telling you right now that without a full picture of the gospel of the kingdom, a full picture of understanding the kingdom, a kingdom that rejects that kind of posture will never be able to overcome that natural tendency that we have because it is the natural tendency. So, with all of that said, we need to not just look at our problem. We also need to look at the ways that Jesus influences, impacts, and changes our position, our heart, so that we can now begin to use power, see power, in the way that he saw power. And so lastly, let me give you a picture, a gospel picture of how Jesus uses his power. Uh, in the passage that we just heard read, I included uh, Matthew 11. In that passage, Jesus shows us what it means uh, to be meek and why the meek shall inherit the earth. And this is what he says. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Let me just stop there for a minute. What's Jesus saying there? Jesus is saying that there's this revelation that comes when one has a posture of a child. What does that mean? You know, when I, I think about you know, my own children over the years, that posture, it's, it's a trust that children ought to have with what their parents say. I realize that this might not, of course, be our reality for, for everyone. Not everyone has experienced this, but in the best of circumstances, there should be a posture when a child comes to a parent with fear or uncertainty or looking for comfort or seeking answers. There, there's this trust that children ought to have for the parent and what the parent says. And it's that kind of posture that Jesus is describing here. It's why the great marvelous things of the kingdom are revealed to those who are like little children. Those who don't come with hubris and arrogance, but rather trust and security with God. So there's this revelation that comes when one has that posture as they approach the Father, like a child trusting the love of a good Father. But then Jesus goes on to say, verse 27. Actually, we can, we can throw that up, guys. That'd be helpful for people to walk through. In verse 27 of chapter 11, it says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Again, let me stop there for a second. Consider that kind of power that Jesus is describing. All things have been handed to Jesus. He holds all power and authority. All of it. And he says that the only one who truly knows God the Father is God the Son. And that the Son alone is the one who reveals the Father to others. 
That kind of power is completely beyond our comprehension. And if Jesus was a social Darwinist, what action could possibly be taken against such, such power? All power. But then the passage continues to show us how Jesus uses his matchless power. In his glory, Jesus says, verse 28, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In his power, he comes to us gently and with lowliness of heart. I mean, my friends, do you, do you see the magnificence of Christ here? Do you see what comes through meekness? Jesus comes in all power. But he comes in order to lighten our burden. He uses his power to relieve our burdens. He uses his power to give us strength. He takes all the attempts that we have had to achieve our own power and our own influence through arrogance and self-righteousness and hubris. He takes all of those rebellious tendencies and he takes them upon, his, upon himself. This is what he takes to the cross. And in return... No, he takes that burden from us. He gives us a different kind of yoke, not one of burden, but one of rest. And it's rest because it does not require achievement or accomplishment, but rather it's completely made up of his grace and his compassion, his mercy and joy. And you know what strikes me about the final part of Jesus' beatitude? He says, blessed are the meek, for what? They shall inherit the earth. That means, it's important to note, that it's not yours to attain. That word inherent is very important. Whose is it? Whose earth, whose kingdom is it that's being given? Psalm 24 tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's important to remember that the earth is the Lord's and we inherit a kingdom that is ruled by a king. It is given to us, but it's ruled by a king who in meekness lays down his life for us. A king who is the exact opposite of our tendency toward social Darwinism. And this is why the meek inherit the kingdom. Because it is ruled by a powerful, mighty, matchless, but meek king. Now, all that said, where do we need to better reflect meekness? Where do we better need to reflect the meekness of Jesus? Where are we so naturally arrogant? Where do we tend toward social Darwinism that is not a Christ-centered meekness? I mean, what voices or cable news stations or podcasts or again, even preachers who are producing in us arrogance and hubris and combativeness instead of a Christ-exalting meekness? Where are those places? I think if we're honest, there's probably several things that we could name. My challenge to myself would be this, and also to you, to quiet those voices and amplify the voice of the king who says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you see us in our great arrogance in our self-righteousness, in our self-glorification. And despite the fact that we are so naturally these things, 
you don't come in the same way, but rather you send your son to upend our notions of power by sending your son, our meek king, who holds all power and authority, but is also lowly in heart, who's gentle, compassionate, full of mercy and grace. God, would you crush in us the tendencies that we have toward arrogance and hubris, self-righteousness and self-glorification. And would you, by your Spirit, work in us a meekness that reflects the character of our King. God, give us gentleness. Make us humble people. And Lord, I ask that in a, in a society and in a culture so full of all that is not meekness, would our lives, our posture, our attitudes, our conversations be light in dark places as a result? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem Podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.